for the dancers from Jody Overfeld Projects and a swinging ass band. All right. That piece was called Rube G. My name is Seth Bosted. I am the host of Relevant Tones, which is a podcast about the most fascinating time in classical music history and occasionally jazz and dance. Um, and uh, we are celebrating our 10th anniversary and tonight is a special taping live here at Roulette in Brooklyn. Woohoo! All right. And uh, the theme of the evening is useless machines. And so every piece that you're going to hear and see tonight is like a completely different deep dive into the world of, of Rube Goldberg and, and what it means to various and sundry artists. Each piece is a completely different interpretation of Rube Goldberg machines. Um, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So let's talk with uh, Jody Oberfelder uh, briefly here. about. She's going to grab her microphone. And uh, Frank will join us in a moment here. But Jody, just tell us about the inspiration, how this relates to Rube Goldberg, how uh, you and Frank came up with what you came up with. Well, uh, we decided that uh, Rube was kind of a great jumping off point to inventive, fun, cool moves and sounds uh, and human connection. So rather than have objects, uh, decided to do something with bodies and people, and it's pretty silly. Yeah, I really felt the times. whimsy of it. You know, it really uh, had that same kind of quality as a Rube Goldberg machine. It kind of inspired that same idea to me of fun and, uh, and play, uh, and yeah. But also, also that everything is a reaction to something else that happens. Mm -hmm. Everything triggers something else, and it was in there. I have a feeling, I, don't, I haven't heard the other pieces yet, but I have a feeling that Ruben Goldberg, everyone thinks rhythmically because things sort of happen in rhythm and different sounds and everything. And everything is just, it's propulsive, it's fun, but it's got an intention. But the intention might be a little bit nebulous. And, and for Jody and I, the, 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 I, I mean, and the fact that all the dancers, but that Mark plays trumpet, Jody wanted to have all of them play instruments. So it's just, you know, just constant invention for no purpose except the joy of invention. I love it. Thank you so much. It's a great opener for the uh, Thank program. You. Appreciate it very much. All right, big hand, please. Thank you. And um, I do want to introduce our special guest speakers tonight because I'm, I'm just really, really thrilled to be able to, uh, when, I, when I thought about this idea of Rube Goldberg machines, I was looking for people that could be, uh, it's a podcast, so we want to speak about them. And I was just so excited that the great-granddaughter of Rube Goldberg, who's also the head of, um, the director of creative activities for the Rube Goldberg Institute, you'll correct me, uh, Jennifer George is here. So please, a big hand for Jennifer George, uh, who'll come up and join me right here. And uh, Michael Glickman, who is an arts entrepreneur and uh, the founder of JMUSE, is here as well uh, to join me. So we'll chat a little bit here while we set up for the next piece by Dimitri Tomochko. Um, so Jennifer, my first question, I guess, is for you. Um, I know that, I mean, uh, yeah, I think we can do masks off up here. We're safe uh, from everybody. Um, Rube Goldberg obviously was an artist, but what do you think he would have thought of these artistic interpretations of his work? If you don't mind, Michael, just, oh, yeah. Sorry. He would have been really happy that he's still in the conversation. <laughs> So that's, that's the, what I think Rue would be happiest about. The fact that he's inspiring so many different artists and engineers and kind of problem solvers and thinkers and silly people um, is sort of a, a, an amazing thing because he never actually built these machines that he's known for. So this is really, a, he only drew them. His imagination was therefore unfettered. And uh, I think he would just, be, he would marvel <laughs> that there are actually people in this world who are Rube Goldberg influencers who make their living building Rube Goldberg machines. 
One of the things the Institute does is you sponsor a competition to build Rube Goldberg machines. Yes, and we, we saw, I mean, in the sizzle video at the, at the very top of the show, I mean, there, there are children that are doing this now. I mean, it's uh, pretty ages amazing. Ages 8 to 18. Uh, we have three divisions. We have a family division. Um, we have a partnership uh, through NASEF with Minecraft. Um, we are talking to a few other people. We're actually going to launch our first ever drawing competition this year, which really I'm, I'm so excited about it um, in partnership with the National Cartoon Society. So there's a lot going on. <laughs> That's fantastic. Michael, do you build Rube Goldberg machines? Is that your thing? I didn't know who Rube was until I met Jennifer. So, oh, wow. Uh, but you knew the machine. I mean, every, every, we might not know his name, right? But, I mean, we've all seen these machines that throw the pea, that light the flame, that, you know. I think that's the most remarkable thing about Rube, which is uh, he has moved from generation to generation. And he's relevant in, in terms of uh, the actions that he's caused and the work that is happening. And he's become really a cultural icon in a way that I don't think he perhaps would have anticipated. And I'm not sure that anybody... Uh, would have thought that we're still talking about him all these years later. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So he never built these machines. So uh, Jennifer, just talk about, I mean, primarily, what was his medium then? How was he bringing these machines to life? He was a cartoonist. Uh, when you win an award for cartooning, um, just like when you win you know, a Tony for theater or an Oscar for film, you win something called the Rubin Award. And it's named after Rube. He designed the trophy. Uh, the Rubin Awards are, uh, they're fantastic fun. They're not televised, so very few people know about them. But if you've been lucky enough to be in the room, uh, I can't tell you how fun they are. <laughs> Cartoonists are a funny bunch. Um, so that was, that was what he did, and he loved that medium. So um, just for everybody, I, I've seen a bunch of these cartoons now, having done a lot of research, but I mean, describe them for me. Were they multi-panel? Were they, like, how were they well, concocted? Well, you know, over his career, he did approximately 50,000 cartoons. It's hard to imagine. Um, and really just a very small portion of them were the invention cartoons. Um, so he did, he did uh, continuity strips. He did Sunday pages, the full pages. Um, he, but the, cart the, the actual invention cartoons were done in the format of a patent application. And they just captured the imagination of the American public at the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, when we were trying to simplify our lives. And sometimes that took on just epic proportions of overcomplexity. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, uh, you know, what's so funny about the Rube Goldberg machine to me is uh, it starts off as this comic, you know, these comics. And there's this kind of just a really silly idea of doing something very, very complicated that at the end result is something very, very simple that, you know, you, you took a ludicrous number of steps to get to this one thing that you could have done in one step. And then, so then it becomes a byword for complexity. But there's this whole other kind of cottage industry of, of almost philosophical ideas that have grown up around it, <laughs> around what complexity is. When I hear, um, like people my age talk about Rube Goldberg machines, they're not talking about the comics, they're not talking about the machines themselves anymore. It's almost a byword for needless complexity, like bureaucratic red tape or something. Well, he was uh, one of, the, I think, the only person in the dictionary, he's an adjective. He was obviously a noun, he was my grandfather. Um, but uh, he's, all, he's now suddenly, I think, becoming a verb, you know, to Rube. <laughs> in our world, at least. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, uh, the musicians are on stage, so the next piece is called uh, Goldberg Variations, Rube Goldberg Variations by Dimitri Tomochko. It's for brass quintet and prepared piano, and Dimitri's here, so I'm going to chat with him a little bit after the piece, but I do want to tell you we're going to do a, a couple really fun things in this piece. It's a multiple movement piece. It's a four movement piece, and it starts off with... Uh, Blair, can you just demonstrate a couple of the, the, the piano prepared, what, what the piano sounds like? Yeah, just a couple things. Yeah, so the piano is prepared. There's a lot of things inside the piano creating those really fun, whimsical sounds. And as the piece progresses between each movement, he's taking them out, and it's becoming progressively more like a traditional piano. And uh, because it takes him a minute to take those things out of the piano between the movements, we thought it would be fun to put a camera inside the piano so you can actually see what Blair is doing from a mechanical perspective. So uh, we'll grab our seats and enjoy this piece by Dimitri Tomochko called Rube Goldberg Variations. Larry McMillan on piano.
Thank you. 
Um, another hand, please, for Dmitry Tomoshko, uh, the Kings County Brass Band, and Blair McMillan on piano. Uh, Dimitri, you're a great composer, but that is not an easy piece. No, my, my big problem as a composer is my music is always too hard. <laughs> but I think I've made a breakthrough recently, and I, I think I've convinced myself to become interested in simpler music. Okay, less complexity. I'm optimistic. <laughs> I think if I play my own music, that will help. How did this come around? Oh, I see, yes. <laughs> I'm part of a group called Composers Concordance, and they have a composers play their own music concert for that exact reason. Yeah. Um, to like, you say, oh, you write differently when you know you have to play it yourself. <laughs> Which is... I sometimes have nightmares <laughs> that I have to play a Mozart concerto in public. And, your piece is called Rube Goldberg Variations, but Rube Goldberg wasn't the only person who inspired it. Uh, talk about the inspiration for the piece a little bit. Well, it's really funny. I thought of this silly name that combines Rube Goldberg with the Goldberg Variations, this very famous piece of classical music. And I didn't write the piece, and my hard drive crashed. And the, the tech guy who, was, who fixed my hard drive said, oh, I, I, while I was checking your files, I saw that you're a composer and you have this great idea for a piece, Rube Goldberg Variations. I want to I hear that piece. And so that convinced me, you know, I actually have to write this piece. And that's how it happened. All right, that's fantastic. And how does it relate to Rube? Well, obviously, I mean, one of the things about the brass band is it's synonymous with a kind of oompa sort of outdoor music. And I got asked to write a piece for a brass band, and I didn't want it to sound like that. And I thought, what would make the brass band sound least like a brass band? How about if they're playing with this monstrous piano that's been deformed by, <laughs> you know, and just this, the, the sound was so improbable that I thought that that would cure my, my oompa tendency. So that when the brass band finally starts doing that sort of thing, it feels like sort of this welcome change. Yeah, right, right. Well, thank you. It's a great piece. I appreciate it very much. Another hand, please, for uh, Dimitri. so much. Thank you so much. And uh, let's bring up Jennifer and Michael one more time. I'm um, just chat a little bit here while we set up for the penultimate piece. I love to say that word, penultimate. Although I always think it means the last one, but it doesn't. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Michael, what are your thoughts on the evening so far? I'm just amazed at how the creativity has really uh, run through dance and music and has just inspired a whole new genre of using Rube in different ways. It's really kind of, uh, it's incredible. Congratulations. Yeah, and Jennifer, how about you? I, I, again, I'm a little bit in awe. I mean, you know, prepared piano, the, it's such a unique thing to actually be a master of because you're essentially using everyday objects to affect a musical piece or, you know, towards an end, a specific end. And Rube's uh, work, his machines, were all made out of everyday objects. So there's this kind of through line through it all, which I, I kind of love seeing live. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I hadn't thought about that before. You're right. The machines are all everyday objects. Yeah. And that was the whole They're point. They're not just marble runs. They're not just domino runs. You know, a fan, a boot, a parrot, a bowling ball, uh, you know. They all are part of the machine. So is a domino run technically a Rube Goldberg machine? No, or? it's okay. a domino run. Ah, all right. <laughs> That's a different thing. All right, see, you learned something. This is why I do this podcast. So that and I, a I marble can... run's a marble run. <laughs> all right. Because, yeah, if you search Rube Goldberg machine in uh, YouTube, as you probably know, you come up with a lot of A these, lot of domino runs. A lot of these things, right, exactly. And I, I stayed away from them. One of the people I find so fascinating is Joseph Hersher. Um, oh, he's brilliant. Put up a couple of his machines. Well, and it's a shame because he was living in Brooklyn up until recently. Now he's living in England. I know. I wrote him. Uh, I had this idea that we would do one of his machines live and, like, write music for it and just this whole elaborate thing. He's a genius. <laughs> I, I, I say that, you know, he is the heir apparent. Mm -hmm. And it's very obvious. <laughs> yeah, I would check him out. Joseph's Machines. He builds these amazing, wonderful machines, Rube Goldberg machines. And I a mean, more delightful person you couldn't meet, so. Yeah. It's exciting. Um, so my piece is called, the next piece is mine. It's called Useless Machines for Thinking, Dreaming, Feeling, which is a little bit different take on the useless machine. Um, because in, in, the, in the Rube Goldberg machine, it's, it's a useless machine only because it takes so many steps to finally do something. But in the end, that is useful. I mean, in, in Joseph's machines, he'll, it'll, it'll feed him cake or it will, you know, well, do something. Well, it has a, a simple purpose. Right, exactly. But it takes many, many steps to get through it. Um, but when I was thinking about useless machine, there's, there's a whole other subset. I, I went to a, a um, 
exhibit at the Bronx Museum on useless machines, and they were talking about inutility, machines that you create to, to replicate parts of humanity that don't actually do anything useful, like take a nap, <laughs> you know, dream, <laughs> lay around. Um, and I'm just curious, I mean, you know, because that, that's not technically a Rube Goldberg machine, but what would both of your thoughts be on that idea, that aspect of it, more a philosophical idea of uh, uselessness? Oh, Michael, I'm going to hand that one over to you. Usefulness. Uh, you know, I, I think it's in the eye of, uh, of the creator in that sense, right? So uh, I, I'm not sure, actually. Well, I mean, you know... <laughs> I, I love asking I, questions like this and just seeing what happens. I, I, yeah. <laughs> um, there's no answer. But, but you know, I, I was listening to this interview, and we're going to play a tiny clip of it uh, and then after... Your piece. Possibly. Possibly. Forget <laughs> this is a tech-heavy show. <laughs> let, me, um, let me go see if I have it loaded up. Anyway, uh, in listening to it, you know, Rube was just, he was very sanguine towards the end of his life. He was amazed that, that out of all the work he'd done, the political cartoons, the Pulitzer Prize, the da-da-da, that he was going to be known for this thing, which is like, what is that? And, and uh, if we don't get to the quote, he said, they're really not machines. They're really satirical representations of progressive nothing. Mm. And I, 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 it's amazing to me that that was my grandfather. And, and that we are all, you know, and after I heard it, I listened to it over and over again. I heard it on a plane. It was accidentally came up on my iPad that I, iPod that I was listening to going cross country. And um, I listened to it over and over and I thought, my God, you know, I, there must be some like cultural thread in sort of Jewish humor. You know, if Seinfeld's about nothing, we're about progressive nothing. And then it all clicked for me. So there we are. I don't know if that answered your question, but it was a digression. Well, I mean, I was hoping, I love that quote. Digression. I, I love that quote, 100%. <laughs> um, okay, so we'll hear my piece. This is Unheard Of Ensemble. And the idea here is that they are one machine, but each of them are separate parts of the machine. And so they actually have separate musical parts in uh, different time signatures and different tempos, but it's meant to cohese. So hopefully you feel that it does. It's in three movements, and um, we'll see progressive shadow puppetry from little shadow puppets as well. Uh, so let's Welcome Unheard of Ensemble and Little Shadow Puppets to the stage. All right.
Well, there was one more piece on the uh, Useless Machines program, the first night of the Relevant Tones 10th Anniversary Festival, but uh, it's by John Cage. It's called Water Walk, and I did the performance, and it doesn't really make sense uh, as audio only. It's very much a visual piece. So if you want to check out my performance of Water Walk, just visit Access Contemporary Music's YouTube channel. Relevant Tones is a production of Access Contemporary Music, a nonprofit organization with the mission of bringing musical creativity to life every day. Find out more at acmusic.org. For Relevant Tones, I'm Seth Bosted. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>